Welcome to Lab Chats, a podcast from the team at LabStats. I'm Tyler Jacobson, your host for today's episode. Each week, we'll sit down with technology leaders in higher education to get the latest buzz and insights while we discuss current events, trends, problems, and solutions. Now let's get into it. Joining us today, we have John Felushko, who is the product manager here at LabStats. And the reason that I wanted to have you join us, John, was you have done an extensive amount of speaking with universities and colleges about how they're using data and the value they're getting out of data. I wanted to get some of the insights that you've received off of that. Let's start with the big vision of what should we be doing with the data that universities are collecting? Whatever you want. Data is a tool that helps us make better decisions, can help us make better decisions. And the more we have of it, the more easily accessible it is, the more it's combined, um, the more interesting questions we can have, and the more quickly we can see the impacts of our decisions and make new decisions. So we have this concept in software of failing fast. Yet he is really being humble as decision makers and saying, we don't know what the impact <laughs> of our decisions are going to be when we make a change. We don't know what's going to happen. So let's make sure we're watching it using the scientific method, having hypotheses and seeing what changes. So basically treating every change that you make in the, in the structure, everything you do on the university as an experiment and then capturing what impact it has. Absolutely. Um, that's been proven in many different businesses across a lot of time here to help you get to your goals more quickly uh, at a lower cost with less risk. One of the things that I have often had conversations with is they would like to use data to make data-driven decisions. However, it costs a lot to collect the data. And so a, a logical first step is what are they collecting now and how are they using it now? Yeah, I think when I talk to schools, you know, schools have a huge range in their data literacy, both between organizations and across organizations. But a lot of people are incredibly surprised about how much data exists in their organization already, going back for how long, and how easy it is with modern tools to combine it and provide the context they need uh, to make decisions. Um, what data streams are they collecting now? Give me some examples of, of what they have to work with without any additional expense. Sure, so you have your student management system. So you have a lot of information, first of all, on your students, right? And your students and how they're doing and how they're performing are tied to many, many of the goals that learning organizations have. You have your financial system, contains all the records of what you've spent, uh, all the bills that got paid. Um, you have your feed from your learning management system that tells you about how students are interacting with resources. You have your library's computer system that tells you who checked out and who looked into and who accessed what resources and when. Um, those things are on every campus we've, I've ever talked to. And they provide a huge amount of data. And they can be combined with stuff you probably don't think is related, like your network system. Who logged in? What's our login rate for Wi-Fi? How many devices are logged in? That tells you a huge amount of information about who's where in space 
what spaces are getting used. Uh, and I've seen these combined. I was at a campus last year where these were combined to, they combined these existing measures to know whether students were in class or not without any new tools, just new analysis of the data that they already had. Some of those data streams that you had mentioned seem like they're very department-specific. For instance, the library data. How is that valuable outside of the library, and how do you get it to people that are outside the library in a usable manner? So, really simple question a lot of people have are, what students are succeeding, what students are going to do well, and what students don't do well. And for a lot of programs, there's a pretty strong association between what library resources the students are accessing and how they perform in the course. Uh, so you can use library data as a leading indicator of students' performance in their program. If they are in uh, history or political science, <laughs> and they're not showing up in the library system on a regular basis and accessing stuff from the library on a regular basis, hey, that's a pretty good indicator they're not going to get their research papers done. How can a university share that data interdepartmentally as well as up and down the chain of administration? So there's a lot of great tools out there. Uh, generally, they're called business intelligence tools, BI tools. And I think because they have the word business in them and intelligence, People think they're a specialist uh, domain of analysts, but I've been in a lot of schools where they're being used across the organization. I was at a major customer that in their IT organization had over 50 databases uh, streaming into their business intelligence system. And when I first saw that, I thought, oh, this is years of work. This is a huge amount of effort. Um, this is beyond my capability to understand. And going out and playing with those tools, we found that they're very, very easy to use. So the most popular one in our research at universities is uh, Power BI. The next most popular is Tableau. If you've interacted with your state or country's uh, COVID dashboards in the last year or so, you've probably interacted with a Tableau dashboard or a Power BI dashboard. And every single school I've been at in the last two years has had those capabilities somewhere on campus and specialist analysts for them somewhere on campus. And very often they're paid for already. Um, they're free to add new users, free to download. So how would somebody identify who on campus is their data analyst? Because a lot of the people that we speak with, they're working with the data within their department what would be the first step for them to get some of this bigger picture data analysis? Just start talking. If you ask, when I get a couple people in a room, like, and I ask, here's an analyst, usually somebody knows. Uh, very often they report to the CIO or the CFO. There's some department somewhere in your school that has a bunch of analysts. They're some of the most posted jobs we see from universities. They're out there. But you don't need them. Honestly, you can just go download, figure out what your school is using. If you're a Microsoft-oriented school, go download Power BI onto your desktop, start playing with it, and there are links to most major applications built into Power BI. Like our devs here say, 
It's mostly a matter of knowing what to Google. How easy is it for departments to share their data streams with each other? If you have the permissions, and this is where the, the politics of your organization work out, but if you have the permissions, minutes. It's minutes to get the data uh, into systems and get it linked to each itself. So an example would be, I want to understand how people use my computer labs who aren't logged into the machines. How many people are in my computer labs that aren't logged into computers? I could take my data from something like LabStats that has a, a record of everybody who logs into computers, and then I talk to my network guys and figure out where the data exists for logging into Wi-Fi. Most places I've talked to have what's called an API, an application program or interface. It's a place you can access that data online, and Power BI and Tableau have hooks to those. And you can get the list of who logged into the Wi-Fi and when, who log on to your lab computers and when, and by comparing those two sets of data, you can see how many more people are in your computer labs than are logged into your machines. How does that help? What additional insights is that giving you? Well, we see very often when we go to conventionally set up computer labs, rows of desks, for example, you know, next to machines next to each other, that all the seats are in use or close to all the seats are in use but less than half the machines are in use because people are working as groups together on projects. You might be getting a very false impression from only looking at one data source of how many people are using that space. And if you find out, hey, wow, there's like, for every login to our machine, there's six or seven devices logged into the local wireless network in that space. We know that the average student has uh, 2.7, something like that, wireless devices with them at any given time. So that number, you can kind of divide that by two and a half or whatever and say, okay, these many people, we have 90 people logged into the wireless in that lab. We only have 20 people using computers. Oh, there's a bunch of groups in there. Then when you go to, say, reorganize that space, you could reorganize that space with computer each computer is at a separate desk, or you have a bunch more, and we've seen this at a lot of campuses, where there's staged computers with big screens and four or five chairs around the perimeter of the lab, so people can come in and do group projects on those machines. Um, some schools call those pods, for example. And by looking at that kind of data, that supports how many pods do I need? How many group project spaces do I need? Maybe I don't need more machines. I need those same machines spread out over more space so I can accommodate more group work. Here's the data that supports that. And that's really simple, just combining two sets of data, your wireless login with your lab stats data. You could then can further combine that with your student management system data to figure out who's using it. One of the things we see anecdotally is that it tends to be a much higher percentage of foreign students, first-generation students, and disadvantaged students using those public spaces and those computers to do work. Because they might not, they might be living in dorms, they might not have big computers and big screens accessible in their home. If one of the goals for your school is to help those groups of students succeed, it's really great data to have. 
So your student management system can be tied to the login counts, the Wi-Fi counts, and figure out who's using what spaces. With the transfer of information, are departmental managers using this data in the same way? For instance, the director of IT. Yeah. What types of data is he using? And what questions is he asking for that versus the CIO? Are they using the same data sets and asking different questions? Very often they're using the same data sets. They're asking very different questions and they need the data structured in very different ways. Um, I regularly hear about CIOs who don't want to open anything, or if they do want to open something, they only want to open Power BI. Everything else reports up to them in Power BI or Tableau and they have a dashboard. And a lot of our customers, for example, in the IT world have found that the best way to communicate with the CIO is to build him a custom dashboard in whatever tool he's currently using. And that seems like a huge operation, but honestly, it's a few days worth of work once you have access to the data. And he probably wants to see the same report structured the same way over and over and over again. You can also set up a lot of these, these BI tools to do things like make a, a PDF of that graphic and email it out to them on a regular basis. So they don't even have to open anything in their email every Monday morning or every first of the month, here's a snapshot of what's happening on these systems, what's changed. They can go and take that to their meeting. Are a lot of the administrators using these databases and these BI tools as their primary source of information? How's that information flow from, from different so, levels of management? And we hear totally different things. We have a couple of CIOs that we've worked with who are in the data itself, asking questions, using it as an ad hoc reporting tool to ask really sophisticated questions all the time. Um, I talked to one, one of our most successful customers who was able to save millions of dollars in their IT infrastructure, and she would just go home every night and run report after report after report after report. And then we run into other people and they're like, my boss wants a printout on paper. And we run into the full range, right? It depends on your institution and the personalities you're dealing with. But somebody at some level is going to be asking interesting questions, doing ad hoc stuff, combining data with all kinds of different sources. So how easy is it to transfer that? You had mentioned some of them are going to be printing things out and sending that. Obviously, that's handled natively on your device to hardware that you create a hard copy and send that over. Aside from that, how easy is it to share some of these dashboards with other organizations and, and configure them according to what they need without giving them things that are irrelevant? So all of the ones I'm familiar with, all the BI tools I'm familiar with have uh, web versions where you can publish or natively create reports, dashboards, metrics, alerts on a website. And as long as you have the permissions and pay the licensing, and it's usually a few dollars a month, uh, people can just view that on a website. Send them a link. Here's your custom dashboard on a website. Check it anytime. Refresh the data anytime you want. So you mentioned a few dollars a month. Is What are the total costs uh, to institute something like this interdepartmentally? It really varies about how much data you have. It's it, it can be as cheap as free um, with huge amounts of data. You know, it can be tens of thousands of dollars a month for billions of rows of data. A lot of schools, big schools, big institutions, they're already paying those resource costs for 
handling billions of rows of data because that's what your student management system needs, that's what your financial system needs. You're adding one more thing, very little marginal cost. You're adding a few hundred million more rows of data in most of these systems next to free. So being able to understand what students are using from multiple angles, I can see the value in that. How does that impact the students? With all of this data, sounds like it's going to the administration. Why would the students care? Well, the kind of first and most obvious thing is there's so many resources on campus that are underutilized that students don't know exist. And until you know what, what the outcomes are and the usage is, and specifically who's not using the resources you're already paying for. This is the thing we see time and time and time again. When you understand who's using and not using resources, you know how to target the information, the educational campaigns, the technological resources to get people. Because it doesn't matter what you have in any domain, whether that's computers, technology, services, grants, um, tutoring, food pantries, any of it, unless the people who need it know it's available. And the first step in targeting that, those campaigns, and in, in changing the behavior of students is finding out who's using and not using the resources so you can target it. If they're not using it, is it because they're unaware of it, or is it because it's unneeded? So that depends on, you know, that's where you really, where the data really comes in handy. Let's say I'm finding that in a particular program between, there's 30% of my students aren't using the resource. Say it's uh, public CAD machines, machines with CAD in an engineering course. You can start slicing that data by reporting the data from your student management system and say, okay, this group that's not using public resources What's the common thing between them? Is it mostly students from a single instructor? Is there an instructor who doesn't know that these resources exist and isn't telling it? Is it some demographic, first year, second year, third year, or first generation, second generation, third generation students, or um, local students versus international students? What are the groups that aren't finding out about this resource? By looking at, say, resource usage, combined with your student management system's data, you can figure out who's not having it. And it might be as simple as, you know what? Instructor Jones, new instructor, doesn't know about this. Let's go have an intervention with Instructor Jones and say, hey, wanted to let you know that these there's a 24-hour lab for engineering students with CAD software. Let's take you to it. Uh, let's give you some slides to talk about in your next uh, your next lecture to your students and say, hey, we want to let you know that these there's these things. And that simple problem, how do you educate your part-time and adjunct instructors into what resources exist on your campus is something that's really difficult to solve through just mass communication and blasting it out. But if you can look at the result, whose students aren't accessing the resources, you can target your efforts to where it's needed. Are there any cases where any of this data would be valuable for the students directly? Yeah, absolutely. 
Wouldn't you love to know when you were a student what successful students do? Wouldn't you like to know what a successful strategy is so you're not wasting your time making stuff up? So I've seen some really interesting work where tools like this were used to analyze the difference in study habits and resource access between students who got A's, B's, C's, and D's. And then when they intervened through their through their student management system with the students, they were able to say, hey, very early in the semester, you are not accessing these resources on a regular, and whatever it is, tutoring, uh, library, technology, and said, hey, you're, we have, I don't have any grades for you, but your pattern of behavior isn't the same as the students who historically get A's. You might want to consider coming to the library more often and accessing the software more often, getting into your classes more often, whatever the information is. And that's proven to be an extremely successful way of changing students' behavior before they've seen their first grade. And the goal is to help them succeed. In my household, we have several college-aged residents. Congratulations. <laughs> well, we also have a couple of high school aged as well. So we have a very interesting mix of perspectives. Now, when I talk to the college attending, when they talk about what they want to know about what's going on on campus, a lot of it is, I just want to know how to find what I need. I want to know where it's at. I want to know what's going on on campus. Basically, if I need something, I want to know how and where to get it and if it's available. And it's everything from parking, laundry service, cafeteria menus, computer labs, where's the software they need, class schedules. There's just this list of things that they want that in a lot of cases is extremely challenging for them to get because it's available in 30 different places. Right. So what options do schools have as far as notifying students of what resources are available? So we're seeing a lot of people push data to a single student-focused app. That's a very common solution, and that allows data from a whole bunch of different sources to be layered in such a way that it appears to be one interface to students. So we see stuff like Canvas Maps that as you zoom into them, show you rooms, and when you click on the room, say, hey, do you want to book this room? Or these are the computers in this room, or this is the software available in this space. We're seeing those kind of things with directions and hours and notifications built into a map on a campus app. Um, that's extremely common. Again, those apps are powered by these APIs that all of your systems are using, and APIs allow systems from multiple places to talk to each other. LabStats, for example, supports uh, with our APIs supports bringing information about any kind of real-time usage of your computer system into those maps and calendars uh, so that people can see what's being used and not used. All kinds of, you know, lots of booking software, library software, all kinds of other resource software. And that makes sense because as I've talked to people about our mobile app and our ability to do computer lab mapping, it's a great added feature, but it's not the solution because relaying that to the students is problematic because in a mobile app, you may have a mobile app that's limited to just computer and software utilization, 
which is a hard sell to get students to download onto their phone. Yeah. And so if you have a campus app that integrates five or six different channels of information, they're far more likely to download it. And even beyond that, they're more likely to use it on a regular basis. Yeah, and, it, and there's a, a real split, um, you know, sort of Gen X and the older millennials tend to be Google focused, go to a general purpose browser and Google it. People younger than that are much more likely to, to use apps. Um, on their mobile devices as their primary way of answering questions. And there's just a, a mindset shift that's happened. So a combination of possibly putting it on the website as well as having a robust mobile app would bridge between the two different thought processes. <laughs> the two different technology usage patterns, we could call it. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything else that we kind of haven't covered as far as big data on campus and the value as well as overcoming that sense of that data being siloed in one area or another? I'd say the big takeaway for me as I've learned about these things is just realizing that whatever data exists, there's a way to combine it with all the other data that exists. So virtually any question I can answer any question I can ask, there's data out there that I can get at it. And as I've learned about these tools and gotten familiar with them over the last few years, my confidence level and my ability to answer any question I have uh, has gone much higher. I still have to ask whether it's worth it. <laughs> I still have to ask whether it's worth the effort to find the answer. Do I really want to find the answer? But I know that if I do, I can, it's technically possible, and it's pretty straightforward. Well, and I think that plays into conversations that it sounds like we both had with people is some things are just not high enough priority to put a lot of effort into. Others, you're afraid you know the answer, <laughs> and, and having it in print in front of you could be something that prevents you from being able to ignore it any further. You're right. And then also, my impression is there's a lot of different siloing between departments and, and bridges of communication between different layers of administration. and These different data sets coming in from very different directions, compiling them all is going to be partially the solution for really cooperating from different levels of administration and across different departments where traditionally they have operated as their own universe. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say, you know, my method, and it's different for everybody, but my method is to go, okay, what are we trying to accomplish? What questions do I have? Do I need to answer to be able to decide on a course of action? And very often my first question is, what have we done before? And did it work? Defining what you mean on did it work did it is work? a very key piece of that puzzle. Right. And then once I've done that, now I know I can go. The data probably exists somewhere. And with a little bit of self-education, a little bit of reaching out to people better at analyzing than me, I'm able to get to those answers pretty fast and painlessly. I just want to say, John, thank you very much for all of your efforts. I know that you've spent a lot of time over the last year to not only make LabSat's data better, 
but also make sure that people have the ability to utilize it in the ways that they are using data and incorporating it into other things. And I know that our customers have appreciated that and it's gonna be key for them to integrate LabStats data as one component of, of many different data sets that they are leveraging to truly make data-driven decisions. Thank you, and we should be making that easier and easier as time goes on. Thank you for joining us. That's all for today's episode of Lab Chats. Be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when a new Lab Chats episode is posted each week. We'll see you next time.